attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Rick Pador. Rick was out in California. Uh, while I was on my trip, and Barry Feldman was kind enough, Barry S., to set up a meeting between Rick and I, and he was fantastic, great talk, and uh, I came by his house, we talked on the mic for about an hour, I ended up spending about three or four hours there, going through things, he had a bunch of stuff to give me, Um, some of you have already heard some of the audio clips, some of the reel-to-reel tapes that he had that we converted which are very cool. If you haven't heard those, go to the website, campojibbahistory.org. Click on Sounds. There's eighth-week shows from the 60s. There's Jubilees. It's really cool stuff. And uh, the recordings are really quality. So I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, He and I have a great talk. And uh, he is today's guest. And then I interviewed his brother a couple months later in Chicago his twin brother. So you're going to hear that later this week as well. So it's Patter Week here at the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast. Uh, before we get to that, just uh, another big shout out to everyone who helped make the Brick Project a success over visiting weekend. I think all that's taken care of now. Um, if you didn't get a brick and you still want to get in, come over to the website and click on Walk of Fame and get your brick. Okay, enough of that. Let's get to it. Here we go. Rick Pador on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. We're a couple of swells. We stop at the best hotels. But we prefer the state your name and your years at camp. This is Rick Pador. I was at Camp Ojibwa, 1965 to 1974. Awesome. How did you first hear about camp? Well, my older brother, Barry Patter, went to camp uh, a year or two before we did. But that was back in the day when Al did the slideshows and mm. he hit the North Shore. And uh, this guy was at camp, so therefore we had to go to camp. Nice. So you didn't really have a choice. <laughs> no, it was always Camp Ojibwe. Very nice. Now, can you remember when Al had came over with the slides for your brother? Were you old enough to kind of know what was up or not really? Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, the old uh, carousel slides and uh, the projector. And Al, uh, you know, genuine guy. Yeah. Made it exciting. And uh, it was a... Uh, we all wanted to do. Nice. And by that time, was Mickey coming along as well for the, do you remember? I don't remember Mickey. I remember Al at that time. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think he liked to do it himself. I just, I know Mickey eventually starts coming in, so I'm not sure where. So you go to camp for the first time. What's the first thing you remember about camp? Well, uh, my first year or two at camp, I remember differently than the last eight years of camp, because the first two years, I was kind of bullied. Mm. I uh, had a tendency to cry and whine and um, break a tennis racket. (laughs) Wait, how old were you? You know, probably 13. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) I thought you were Uh, like nine and you were breaking rackets. I was like, wow. No, maybe I was 10. (laughs) Kevin, 10 it was, Mm -hmm. but... um, it made the birthday poem. Oh, sure. Or my biography and the uh, warrior that year. So uh, <laughs> I had to think of a way uh, to come back to camp honorably. And uh, I kind of sifted my way over to uh, kind of 
the written arts, the medicine man, the warrior, mm. becoming a cub reporter, and uh, uh, really enjoyed the uh, musical programs with Lou Fletcher and Lou Mager. Nice. Back in those years. Nice. Well, we'll get to that stuff. Tell me a little bit about just what your camp day is like. Well, I think my camp day was just like everybody else's with uh, hearing Reveille. That was Lou Fletcher live. Uh, it wasn't a recorded uh, bugle. And you lined up and uh, then you lined in front of your cabin and then you lined up again uh, out in left field on the campus diamond facing the water. And Al Schwartz would put us through uh, exercises with, sure. you know, the inhale up. I'm sure you've heard the uh, same <laughs> stories, the same exercises and, uh, you know, dip or swim. Mm-hmm. Now, were that, you a dip or a shower guy? You know, I really don't recall. I think it was probably a 50-50 guy. Okay. That's rare. Usually, usually people are on one side or the other pretty heavily, so... Yeah. But if you can switch it up from time to time. You know, it was the ivory soap. You know, you didn't quite get soaked up as effectively (laughs) in the lake. But, uh, you know, I think the showers were lined up a little bit more. And uh, you got your work. Yeah, cleaned up much more quickly in the lake. Yeah. (laughs) So after Dipper Shower, you've got instruction in the morning. Were there, were you a sports guy going in? Did you like sports? I like baseball and uh, a little bit of volleyball, a little bit of basketball. Um, back in those days, they, they had riflery. Sure, of course. Um, there's a riflery story later on. <laughs> um, you know, the sports programs were great because yeah. uh, you were on teams, on a bunch of teams, so you're always playing against your friends or on your next team. They were your teammates, so that made it fun. Yeah. Nice. Were there sports that you had never played that you, when you played them at camp became favorites? Well, I mean, at Collegiate Week, we had marbles and we had oh, sure. uh, box hockey, which I hadn't uh, done up until those years. But, uh, no, I was pretty much uh, active, uh, you know, grammar school, elementary school, playing sports during recess. Nice. Do you remember? Played Little League. Played Little League. Oh, okay. So you... Yeah. <laughs> so it carries on in and out of camp. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you have a sense of who those first guys you were with were, your first cabin mates or your first counselors? You know, uh, I know the passage back. of time, you know, that's <laughs> sure. 50 years ago. Well, maybe in the bigger picture, let's say, were there guys well, that the, you were I mean, still friends with that were your... The core group of guys, I think, uh, in no particular order of importance so nobody's feelings are hurt and if I miss somebody uh sorry about that um no it was Barry Feldman and David mm-hmm. Matazar and uh I guess Jimmy Rubens mm-hmm. and Doug Moyer was there and uh, Ken Roffey I think I mentioned him sure uh as a matter of fact uh his wife Mary Lou I've known 40 or five years so, oh wow uh, okay nice we've had uh you know I've been in California since 85 so mm-hmm. uh I haven't been around camp physically and since then. Sure. So uh, tangentially, I, uh, I've got a bookmark for Camp Ojibwa uh, on my uh, computer. So oh, I look in every now and then. <laughs> well, we certainly try to put up enough pictures to keep you occupied. That's for sure. We certainly <laughs> we shoot for 400 a day. So I can't make promises, but we try really hard. We're talking about the sports, and you're talking about some of the friends that you had. Were there also counselors that you really connected with over the years? Were there ones that just really stuck out for you? Um, I left out Bobby Kaufman, by the way. Ah, he was a pal. Kauf, you know, uh, you know, Elliot. Uh, believe it or not, uh, we, we, I guess he was a nemesis of mine, or I was a nemesis of his. <laughs> uh, we got bitter with each other. Oh. Towards the end of camp, and um, okay. Uh, well, we'll get to I've that lost, later, on or I, off the record, one or the other. <laughs> I lost touch with him. Yeah, but um, you know, uh, when they transitioned from the minstrel show, which I uh, never got to see, mm-hmm. to the jubilee, um, you know, we put some shows on uh, later on that I felt uh, I was a part of, and uh, and. We were constantly uh, rehearsing stunts. Sure. Preparing writing stunts a year before. Um, (laughs) Serious business when it comes to collegial week. Stunts are serious business. 
Right. I mean, uh, I know we're jumping ahead, but, uh, you know, back in those days, you know, we'd see which show would win the Tonys. We'd uh, call Colony Records in New York on Broadway. Sure. And we'd get these scores, uh, if not shipped to our homes in time for camp, they'd be shipped to Ojibwa so that Paul James, whose name I left out, uh, mm -hmm. the late Paul James, uh, was a mentor as well. Uh, and uh, Lou Mager, music department, uh, that's where I used to hang out. Yeah. I'm seeing Lou in a, in a few days. I'm going to Seattle after. I'm working my way up the coast. Yeah. So. Well, we yeah. have some uh, interesting stories. <laughs> He's coming back to camp this year. I don't know if you've heard. You know, I did hear. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure he'll have a good time. Yeah. Camp is great. Yeah. I've seen him a few times yeah. post-camp um, out here in L.A. Uh, and spent some time with him when he was uh, doing performing arts in Chicago before he went to San Francisco and yeah. did the children's chorus. And uh, now he's up in Seattle. And I've been up there, and he's got a be beautiful music hall. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, a calliope. Uh, just He's quite the uh, musician. Nice. Very cool. So getting back to camp, uh, what about, well, I guess the question is, early on, what are the things that kept you coming back? What are the things that kept you going to mom and dad and being like, I got to get back to camp. I'm so excited. I want to get back there. It was the guys. It was the activities. It was um, uh, collegiate week. Uh, it was uh, watermelon league. It was the games. It was... Uh, when it was a counselor, working up a uh, staff talent show, for instance, working up your number, hmm. um, and that kind of stuff, giving back to camp. Yeah, yeah. I, I have more memories as a counselor, uh, JC, and uh, senior counselor, than as a camper. Mm. So when you make that transition, when you become a JC, and in those days you still played in the leagues, right, as a JC, if you, if you chose to. I think uh, there was a little transition. At first, I don't think we played. And mm. I was a three-year JC, which was oh, a, that's unusual circumstance. I, I don't remember the reason why. <laughs> but um, I liked waiting tables when uh, we were JCs. Yeah. And uh, I, um, I was appreciated in the sense that uh, Cabin 13 wanted me to be their permanent waiter. I, I like to draw the shifts at table one and two, of course, Sure. back in the day, and uh, make, made sure that Pearl Schwartz had uh, matching green-rimmed plates and monkey dishes. <laughs> um, it was a little extra pressure if you're at those tables, especially with Pearl, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was exactly the right plates and exactly the right way to set it up. And, you know, kind of listening but not listening in mm. on uh, the inner workings of camp and uh, what would lead to the uh, red light going on. And uh, <laughs> those things were always fun, too. Yeah, for sure. So three years as a JC. What was the transition like for you to go from being a camper who was there to enjoy the place to suddenly being sort of responsible for those campers? Well, I, I guess there's no more cabin cleanup. Uh, mm. In other words, you weren't pushing a broom. And uh, all the counselors had favorite campers. And uh, your favorite campers uh, made your bed. But naturally, you teach them exactly uh, if, they, if they hadn't learned up till now or then. Sure. You know, hospital corners and rounded edges out. Uh, and how the shoes had to be laid uh, in a particular manner, mm. and uh, to be uh, alert for sabotage, and uh, <laughs> those things. Is that something that, that would happen often? Uh, I, I never considered that, that someone would... Uh, that hasn't come up in no, a previous podcast? Not really. I mean... Well, I kind of remember, you know, Paul James, uh, well, just to back up, they had a, a week of scoring, you know, on a 10-point scale, uh, the most points after a week, uh, you got a trip to town. Okay. So um, we had our saboteurs where somebody would take a towel and drop it off the uh, back line. Oh, I see. And then a point would be deducted for that, or somebody would kick at a shoe, 
and uh, a point would be taken off for that. So not your cabin mates, but someone from another cabin would come and... Right, that was the I deal. See, I see, okay. I thought you were saying that perhaps like the guy next to you in the bed next to you might mess your bed up, but no, you're saying that it was uh, more of the cabin competition because there was a reward involved. So Right, camp was nothing but competition, whether it was on the field. I mean, back in those days... Um, uh, we played an entire season. There were championship games. Mm-hmm. Um, if a poor fellow made an error in a championship game, hopefully he'd be back at camp the next year. <laughs> Guys right. were pretty rough in those days. Yeah, for sure. But uh, it, it, in a way, it was very character building because, uh, you know, I certainly got back up on the horse enough times. Uh, you know, back at camp, you know, it was the 60s and 70s for me. You know, uh, the... Um, the, uh, I won't say talking points, but the way we interrelated with one another were, you know, one-liners. You know, Don Rickles was big. Uh, mm. the, Dean Martin uh, roasts were big. Sure, of course. And uh, Rowan and Martin uh, laughing was big. And um, as a result, a lot of the uh, uh, shows that got put on, uh, there was more of an element of skit um, the one-liners, uh, you know, it's it's comparable, perhaps, to uh, you know to, to today's politics, ah. but not nasty. More clever. More clever. Sure. I mean, I mean, um, Rickles, Maury Amsterdam, like that sort of st- even. St- Ed Sullivan had a million of them on, right? <laughs> right. Hen- Henny Youngman, you know, that sort of uh, that sort of. Flair. It was creative. Wit. Right. And, and that's probably what drew me to um, the Medicine Man and the Warrior mm. was because uh, Chicago was a town of writers. You know, uh, there was Cup's Column and there was Aaron Gold, his tower ticker, and Sal Bello, of course, sure. uh, and Mike Royko. So, uh, you know, I know uh, Elliot uh, was in the Medicine Man and I think uh, Marty Salzman was. Uh, before him, and Lee Schneiderman, I think, was mm-hmm. a fellow around that period. So I worked my way up, uh, you know, as a cub reporter to editing, and um, it got you out of um, uh, doing instruction in the morning, where I was uh, nice. getting my stories, keeping track of stats for the leagues. Sure. Um, and uh, what I really enjoyed, because you know, it wasn't a mimeograph, you know, with the fumes. It was black tar type ink. And we would <laughs> we would be scratching through these stencils for our headlines mm. and um, typing uh, the stories. And, you know, there was a whiteout, but it wasn't white. And, um, you know, just trying to get that edition done before lunch. Yeah. And then by 11.30 or so, I'd be, you know, walking around camp, you know, checking with Alan Pearl, giving them their editions, mm. um, and uh, Otto Schmidt in the bakery. Sure. He was always a good stop because uh, you got a pastry, <laughs> or a piece of pie. Oh, there you go. Nice. So, uh, so in those days, uh, lunch was your deadline. Now, these days, the Medicine Man, usually deadline is about mm, 8 p.m. or so. Uh, they usually wait till the day's events are over and try to put that day's events in there. All but right. you guys are you guys are basically writing yesterday's events, right? And getting them out the next day. That's great. I like that right. idea a little better because then you have it at rest period. You have something to look at at rest period. If you're going to write your letter on the back of it, it's right there. Right. As a matter of fact, I I uh, you know pulled out my treasure trove of items. Wow. Uh, you know that include not all the years that I that I was in camp. Do I have warriors? But I have um, two years of editions of Medicine Man's. Oh, that's fantastic. That I saved. You know, um, and you know, years that when I coached uh, a collegiate week team, there would be guest editors. Oh, sure. Or you know, we, and 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 the fun stuff would be you know, the little uh, shtick that we'd put at the bottom of the columns, like uh, end of column one. You know, because you had to <laughs> fill the page. Right. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, the medicine man. I think that. Um, the Medicine Man goes back pretty far, but this is when it sort of starts to hit its heyday. There's there become a group of guys at camp who really are investing in it. They they want it to be a great thing, 
and maybe and maybe it is a great thing already, but they, there's a, an interest in keeping it being a great thing and making it consistently better over and over. And likewise, the warrior as well. But but the medicine man really and and that pays off because it does go back into camp. The quality that's being put into that is then getting read by a camper who's like, holy crap, my name's in this paper. And like it, it, whatever, it's, it's a sheet of mimeograph paper in a camp 500 miles from the nearest city, but it's the big deal. And it makes that camper feel like it's the big deal. Well, like I said, I was kind of bullied the first couple of years at camp, but then when I was, uh, became a reporter and uh, eventually uh, edited the, the paper, you know, guys and staff would say, hey, Pad, you know, put me in the, the MM or the medicine yeah, man. Sure. And uh, that's what we tried to do. It's a big deal. It's a lot of cachet with the, uh, with the medicine man. This is great. And you got Steve Elrod in here. Right, and I just found out because I had a 1977 uh, warrior that was after my years. Mm -hmm. Mark Nachbar, who's reconnected me uh, to... Uh, Ojibwa with an upcoming event. Uh, you know, he and Steve Elrod were pals, and uh, we, I guess we very ably uh, turned over the uh, type, typewriters. Nice. I mean, back in those days, we had our Smith Coronal Electras. Sure. Electric typewriters. I will tell you that I, I believe those typewriters are still in the storage closet behind the main office. Um, because they're, they're just old enough that they're not like antiques that were just around but they're the right age that would have been, you know, those Smith Corona electrics, exactly. And another memory of the Medicine Man, too, um, and there's several, um, is uh, with the powwows, hmm. uh, you know, the Braves, they had to do tasks and uh, work, work uh, in jobs around camp. Sure. And, so for uh, people at home who don't know, in, the, in those days when you were chosen to be a Brave, you spent the next day basically doing labor. <laughs> right. You'd, you'd be usually with a broom or a rake, yeah. and they'd put you somewhere. So I always got two or three guys uh, that got assigned to me uh, to uh, sweep and clean the medicine man office. Oh, nice. Um, and the porch also has got a lot of traffic because that's where they kept a lot of the equipment uh, for the games. But, uh, you know... I, Twice a year, I always had the same speech. Okay, guys, on this floor is 40 years of dust, and you're going to start at that end, and you're going to work to the other end. <laughs> so uh, that's another memory I had in the MM office. Yeah. And I remember um, uh, one fellow, he um, got some paint. And, and the uh, MM office in the um, downstage right or offstage right uh, it was a costume room sure, uh, and makeup room for the Jubilee mm -hmm. back in the days when the Jubilees were, everything was in the rec hall. Oh, so anyhow, this uh, wise guy fellow uh, decided to paint over some uh, hieroglyphics I left from maybe two or three years earlier. Uh -huh. As, you know, throughout these, um, the dressing room and the MM office had uh, inscriptions of former campers, former staff. Certainly. So... Uh, he put some white paint over it, and then it, I allowed it to dry, and I said, you want to see what I'm going to do? And I re-autographed, or nice. whatever I did, yeah. <laughs> to get my name back up on the wall. Very nice. So we can still find that today, certainly. I bet it's still here. Yeah. I think my cousin Bill said uh, it's still there. So Yes, we have, I think, specifically to the rec hall, we have moved past fighting the graffiti and have let it be a part of what camp is. And so, and it's amazing. I, a visiting weekend guys will come in and find their names, their father's names, their grandfather's names, and uh, they know right where it is, and they go right to it and look at it every year. And it, it, it really speaks to the tradition of the place. I mean, it's, it's really something. Like you said, 40 years of dust. Now that's almost 90 years of dust. So, <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> um, so... It seems that you probably enjoyed your counselor years more than your camper years. I think so. Yeah. Not, not that you didn't enjoy your camper years, but it, it seems clear that that's more of where your heart was in it. Um, as you got more sort of, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? As you moved into that sort of second phase you talked about, where you weren't being bullied, but it was more about enjoying what you were there for and then getting a little stroke and being a little bit in charge of some things too. How did, did your relationship with, say, Alan Pearl or the head staff, did that change as well? Did that sort of evolve? Well, 
I had a twin brother, uh, Rob Pador, and, uh, you know, the Pador twins. And uh, we were known as uh, Heckle and Jekyll and Rick Rob, Rob Rick. Uh, and we were rascals. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we were wise guys. Like I said, this was an era of one-liners. Sure. And uh, they didn't spare us. We didn't spare them. And um, Rob and I were very competitive with one another. And uh, every now and then, a team he was coaching and a team I was coaching, there'd be a blown call. I don't know if there's any more blown calls in Ojibwa. <laughs> Only every <laughs> inning of every game ever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes you got a little excited. Sure. And, uh, you know, I could volunteer uh, more than once. Uh, I, I found myself in a Denny headlock. Mm. You know, I don't know if he's doing, you know, with today's uh, litigious atmosphere. Right. Uh, but there you And he's much older. How many headlocks he's doing? <laughs> well, he tries to throw me in one every once in a while, but he has to bring a stepladder, and then I can see it coming from a mile away. <laughs> no, they were always loving, and, uh, you know, Rob and I, we certainly made our mark at camp. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it's interesting to me because I, I, I didn't start till 2000, so obviously Pearl was long gone, and Al passed away that year, so I didn't get a chance to meet either one of them, but uh, I think it's clear that the influence of them, I mean, you can't be at camp for five minutes without feeling that. And, and as a testament to Denny, that has continued. A lot of, there were changes that were made when camp transitioned, when the new owners bought it, when Denny took over as the director, but the, the big baseline philosophies of what Camp Ojibwe has always been, has always been, and is still. And I think that all starts with Al Schwartz. So you see that path, you see that lead through. So for me, it's interesting just to think of them as human beings, as opposed to this idea that, you know, that these, that this stuff came from them, but they're also people. And well, they were both fellowship know. guys, you know, Al Schwartz is more fellowship, you know, I think he was a swimmer. Um, Denny was a wrestler. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, he was always scrumming with everybody. Um, you know, you could be physical guys were always pushing each other, you know, uh, 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 knocking each other, uh, in the femur, I can't think of uh, the shot they used to call that. Oh, sure, with the little knuckle shot there. In yeah, the <laughs> and then your arms, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to see how much pain you could tolerate. It, that was that kind of period. Yeah, boys I mean, being boys. Right, and, um, you know, uh, when you got to, to be elevated to a brave, I mean, uh, you know, it was more hazing then than it, than it is now. I mean, now there's probably a concierge service that takes the camper from cabin 10 <laughs> to cabin 13 to stare at that white rock that we kind of all knew was there, but now we know it's there. Mm. <clears throat> um, I will tell you that the, some of the things that have changed are everyone is a brave. There is no choosing braves. If you're the right age, you're now a brave. Um, silence only lasts through the powwow, only. There is no more silence afterward or anything like that. There's certainly no physical hazing by any stretch of the imagination. And, and, and in the past couple of years, uh, we have made the decision to remove a lot of the Native American influence, the Native American dress and the accoutrement in the sense that it is, you know, it is, it's not respectful. And so... But they're not going to change the name Camp Ojibwa. They are not going to change the name of Camp I mean, That's true. I mean, and back in the day, I mean, uh, you know, the townies would refer to camp as Camp Ojibwe. I mean, uh, sure. you know, camp was, you know, a bunch of Jewish guys for the most part. Mm -hmm. And it's now turned to a, I think the campers are pretty much uh, still in that uh, Highland Park uh, genre. Yes, absolutely. And North Shore, I should say. And I'm a West Coaster here living in Hollywood. <laughs> um, and then the staff is multicultural. So, uh, yeah. and then there's another fellow uh, that was multicultural in our era, and uh, hopefully these listeners will remember, uh, T. Brian McEnany. He was a fellow from New Orleans. Okay. And he had a big afro. And uh, he was in the shop, and he was uh, um, a wonderful artist. Mm. And uh, his plaques are probably to this day unsurpassed in uh, quality, uh, in design, and uh, print. As a matter of fact... Uh, Nice. The uh, the side entrance of the of the mess hall, mm -hmm. you see a whole mural, uh, if it's still there, um, 
that would have been like 1971, okay. uh, where all the plaques were integrated into a single plaque. And, and it was on uh, the wall uh, that would be... What, uh, are the, what are the plaques? What are the... What are they of? What's the picture? Oh, it, it's, it was, uh, you know, teepees and uh, uh, campfires and smoke and, oh, and yeah, trees. Yeah. It was like mm -hmm. a plein air painting, you know, our California paintings out yeah. here. Um, and then naturally, uh, you know, there's some headdress uh, plaques that he did. You know, I, I'm wondering, uh, by the, my last year at camp, and mess hall was pretty... Uh, Full of plaques. <laughs> well, I can't imagine forty years later how they've uh... we've we've worked that out a little bit. So first of all, they expanded the mess hall in uh, two thousand one. So the side closest to Diamond One is now even closer by about twenty feet, and uh, they've just condensed where plaques are and they filled more space to make more room. So we've gotten creative about how to do it. Uh, some of the newer plaques. I mean, there's a canoe that is hanging in the middle of the mess right. hall, and that's the plaque. So we've gotten more creative. Now, the cabin plaques, I know, uh, we're already filling up uh, that front wall pretty solidly. Yeah, cabin plaques, um, they have, certainly in my time, have become less um, obligatory and more optional. Okay. People still do them, and they hang around the cabins, um, and now they're a little more out there. They're not so sort of uniform and basic. They're really, they come up with crazy stuff, and we've had really good artists for the past few years be able to do that. And then when I started, the cabin plaques were just a small plastic frame with a picture of each right. session, and that went on for about 10 years. Well, I remember, uh, you know, Ojiba tried to have every option there, mm -hmm. um, and they had arts and crafts. And um, well, I really don't remember the arts and crafts. Um, we had this one fellow, this is a story, uh, Denny Simonek. Okay. Uh, I don't know if the name's come up in any of your interviews, but... Uh, you know, he was a guy that uh, did a lot of staining. So, uh, you know, his hands were kind of rough. So, uh, you know, I think it must have been my second year as the JC. I'm waiting uh, table three, third staff, I think it was called. Okay. And Scott Levenfeld was over there. And, you know, we were bringing out the Cleary's milk, you know, uh, whole milk. I think back in those days there was actually some, some skim. Mm. But it was always whole milk. Uh, Denny Simonek took one of his uh, nosh. That was a word we used back in those days. <laughs> uh, you know, just a stub of a finger with stain mm. to pry open the uh, spout of the half gallon of milk. And Scott Levenfeld uh, said, Pads, we need some fresh milk around here. And, you know, <laughs> oh, boy. it was like, uh, okay, we'll get you some fresh milk. And everybody, you know... Big eye. Everybody was rolling their eyes in those days. Sure. I mean, uh, it, was, it was a very sarcastic camp. Uh, it really was. Everybody was trying to outdo themselves with one-liners. It was before Seinfeld. So, uh, but it had some Seinfeld quality to it. Mm -hmm. It was sophisticated. Yeah, I, I will say that um, Elliot uh, has carried on that tradition. Elliot and I, like I said, we shared a cabin for for many years, and. His discussion of the lines, lines, we're doing lines. And if you're going to come at me, you better do lines because you're not going to be able to keep up with me and, and all this talk all the time. And it's true. I mean, and it is. It's about zinging each other and it's, and that still lives. I mean, it carries on. It's, it's probably not nearly as witty as it once was. It was but, material. It was, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's all we did. It, it was fun. It was original. Uh, you know, stuff got in the medicine man. Uh, there were certain uh, cheers we could not do. <laughs> <laughs> that got the that got the uh, red light. Sure. Which I won't uh, disparage anybody um, who may have been on the bad side of those <laughs> cheers. But um, that was camp. Uh, it was a different era. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Uh, I've been. I've had no greater joy than uh, you know pulling out these warriors and medicine man and. Uh, you know, looking at the content, uh, they've been kind of buried for the last, uh, you know, 25, 30 years out sure. here. I haven't looked at them. Yeah. Any, uh, any particular memories with your brother that stick out as special moments that you two happen to have at camp together in some way? Um, I mean, you talked about like playing games, coaching against each other, but anything that might stick um, out? Well, we, uh, 
did a, a number of the Jubilee um, from Easter Parade uh, walk up the avenue? Uh, a couple of swells. A couple of swells. Sure. That's it. Uh, they gave us that number one year. Nice. And I've got a picture of it uh, in another room. Very cool. So, um, and we competed against each other. Uh, you know, everybody competed. I mean, it was the most competitive camp of all. And uh, as much as they tried to shed some of the competition levels then, mm-hmm. it was known as a competitive camp. Now, you know, uh, the young men go to specialized camps. Right. And uh, But I will say that while the the athletes themselves may have changed that the level of the, the feeling of competition remains. Well, you know, camp then, um, it was all the programming. I mean, everything was uh, down to the 45 minute, uh, you know, probably was the same time of day, seven thirty. breakfast was eight thirty. Then we had cabin cleanup, first day activity, uh, morning swim and lunch, rest period, afternoon activity, uh, general swim, Dinner, early evening activity, late evening activity. Mm. Got a treat from Al every now and then. <laughs> so um, they kept you moving, uh, and there were a lot of leagues. There wasn't a lot of downtime. Yeah. I'm sure that's the same today. Yeah, we actually play more leagues now. It's it's very laid out. It's very planned. Yeah, we uh, we didn't have the hockey uh, surfaces right. then. Uh, you know, we didn't have a rock wall then. I saw that in one of the videos. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't do is we don't do the swims. I mean, you're going to likely get assigned to the waterfront during one of the periods of the day, but you don't get the all camp general swims twice a day, um, which in some ways I think is a bummer. I think that there's something to be gained from having everyone there together instead of just one age group. But it's a different time too. But right. Well, yeah, yeah. I think you know they had the the swim meet. So those mm-hmm. of us that were coaching collegiate week, uh, we had a you know. Pay attention to who the good swimmers were. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I was going to ask, uh, we haven't talked about any swimming. Was there, were you a waterfront kind of guy when you got to camp? Did you become a waterfront kind of guy? No, well, you mentioned you came from Dave Gertz, uh, mm-hmm. an interviewer just before mine. So uh, I know he was a wonderful swimmer. And uh, that was really, that was the lakefront, um, you know, it was cool to swim out to the raft and, uh, you know, hang out and... Um, they just had the one slide then. Mm-hmm. Um, water ski program was good. They had a couple sunfish for sailing. Um, the the uh, rowboats were fun on certain trip days, I recall. Mm. Uh, the canoes, uh, some overnighters were fun, but you know you got wet and dirty, which uh, wasn't something I yeah appreciated. You know, <laughs> although if you're pl- if you're playing at you know. Uh, touch football in the rain or something, uh, you know, sliding around and getting dirty like the pros, that was one thing. Oh, sure, absolutely. But, you know, sitting drenched at a campfire site, you know, trying to (laughs) enjoy that is different. It's a whole different thing. Listen, I'm on your side. I have not uh, stepped foot in Catfish Lake in a decade, so that's fine. I I love it. I'll sit on the dock. I I happily go sit on the old pontoon and have a cigar sometimes (laughs) at night, you know. But, no, I don't don't need to get in the water. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty much it on the, on the waterfront. Um, All right. Uh, Denny Rosen. Denny Rosen. He gets there and, and comes to prominence as the program director during your time. So you're really seeing young, vibrant, all over his game, Denny Rosen. Well, Any who good was Denny the fellow members? right before Denny? Well, Sid Novak was Sid the Novak. Head, head counselor before right. Denny. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, no, we got Denny in his prime, um, definitely. Um, and uh, everybody... He, has a Denny story, and uh, I'm sure Denny recalls them all. Denny uh, <laughs> right. treated treated us all uh, affectionately, uh, evenly. Um, gave us uh, the nurturing uh, that each of us needed, you know, slap on the side of the head. You know, I remember, uh, you know, I think uh, when I told Rob that uh, I was going to do this um, podcast, he says, oh, yeah, I remember that uh, championship uh, soccer league game uh, over a call. The game got forfeited, and we're up in the lodge, and uh, Denny tackled me, and I end up in his closet. <laughs> and Elliot Friedman and Paul James 
had their ears up to the closet in the music office, <laughs> and they said they heard such a racket. You know, I mean, that's the, that's what happened. Nice. But my swan song at Ojibwa is a whole other story. Um, that's of record um, because uh, I don't know. I don't know if I was wearing out my welcome, mm. but um, I uh, didn't get a collegiate week team my last year. And um, I don't know. I was, a, uh, I think I was a counselor in 11. I don't think I was ever a counselor in 13. Okay. So maybe uh, I felt spurned or whatever. Sure. In any event. Uh, you had the right amount of years. You should have had a team. You just didn't. <laughs> is, that what it, is that what it came down to? I don't know. I, I, who, who could think back uh, sure. to the subtleties of uh, cabinet assignments and those things? But anyhow, I brought back um, a case of old Milwaukee beer uh, for uh, like three or four campers um, the last week of camp, uh, or maybe been uh, a day or two after collegiate week. And, um, you know, you hope that those three or four campers involved, uh, I think I left it at cabin one, campfire site would keep it to themselves mm. but uh you know quickly it uh word got out and these were the oldest kids at camp you know sure of course uh, so the head staff wasn't too pleased with me so um but then i remember mickey saying to me well if you had stuck around and it was supervised drinking it would have been better <laughs> so uh, it okay. makes sense, but okay, that's sure. So, but, you know, I didn't have that drive of shame to Rhinelander like some counselors that misbehaved yeah, uh, sure. did and have. Probably that continues. I, that's because I hadn't finished The Warrior, and mm -hmm. I was the Warrior editor. <laughs> if they were going to throw me out of camp, you know, uh, somebody else would have to finish The Warrior. And, right. um, you know... I can't say we were underappreciated. I mean, it was a fun. It was fun putting out the additions, and um, it was a, a huge collaborative effort. I mean, uh, I remember doing the individual pages, and you, you'd stack them up on the ping pong tables, and then you'd line up the campers to walk around to collate the two hundred copies, asking them not to read it at the time. <laughs> you know, well, lest sure. uh, they forget to pick up a page and some kid gets home and, you know, page two of Cabin 7 is out of his book. Right. And, of course, it's the one with his name on it. So there you go. Right. Yeah. So uh, that was fun. Uh, so anyhow, my, my, uh, my last, I guess it was Cabin 9. My, I guess I, I wrote, I guess uh, it says Pengloss. 74, I think that was my last year. I guess maybe I did have a team because that would have been a Candide number I did. But anyhow, it says former camper, junior counselor, counselor. I was already into, in that phase. Mm -hmm. And then anyone want to go to old Milwaukee? Um, wow. That uh, <laughs> with Steve Capozo and Dave Biter. Nice. It, it's the, uh, That's pretty ballsy to reference the old Milwaukee right in the book. Well, that's what we did. <laughs> that's and, what you um, did, yeah. And one of the things that, uh, one of the best parts of camp, I don't know if they do this anymore, no. the birthday poem. The birthday poem was a wonderful collection of couplets that um, everybody wanted to be in the birthday poem, and you hope you didn't suffer too much damage. Sure. Everybody was going to get a certain degree of teasing, and uh, a lot of it was really over the top. And... Um, it was meant in good fun, and um, I did a couple birthday poems, uh, collaborated, I should say, because not one person could put together uh, eight weeks' worth of memories. Right, 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 right. Um, in such a... But, you know, nowadays, like I said before we went on uh, record with the tape, um, you're a videographer, uh, photographs, you know, you take 400 a day, you put up 125. Uh, it's more visual. Um, although I've seen some of the vintage uh, videos, mm -hmm. you know, the former 60 millimeters yeah. that are on your... Uh, on the project site. On the project yeah. site, thank you. 
Um, you know, we, we just had to rely on the written word. So uh, it was a different mission back then. Um, so that kind of like uh, this way. You can't see what I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> but I'm looking at the day-by-day of Camp Ojibwe, right. where, where we literally, I probably looked at the medicine man day-by-day to, you know, uh, write up three pages worth of shtick. Yeah. Uh, and finding the best element of a particular day. This stuff is completely invaluable. I mean, we, someone could look, I suppose someone could look at the things we produce now and, and put together some, th- some ideas about camp if they didn't know anything about it. But if you didn't know anything about camp and you picked up a 1974 warrior and read it, you would know everything about camp. Right. You would know everyone who was there. You would know all the events that happened, both big and small. You'd have a sense of an inside joke about half the people there. <laughs> but it really is incredibly informative. And now looking at it as, a piece of, of archival history, it's incredible because it tells us so much. You know, now we can really see when when certain things happened, when things became popular at camp. Yeah, I'm looking at this. Um, I also have some programs from some of the Jubilees in my archives that I'm handy to, happy to hand over to you to scan or awesome. return yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you for do. sure. But um, you know, looking at some of the shows, and uh, I was a I was an end man. I think just two years. Back in those days, you know, you would hand over your black trousers uh, that you wore on Friday night Shabbos, you know, when Pearl Schwartz would be lighting the candles mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, Jimmy Nachman uh, doing the Kiddush. And uh, so those black trousers with a, with a Camp Ojibwe t-shirt on Friday night, um, you gave them to Pearl, gave them to Pearl and Riva. And they would tie on the, they would sew on the uh, fluorescent pink. Ah. So uh, that was part of the black light effect for the hand routine mm-hmm. that you know is still cool to these days. But I, I got to tell you, the uh, effect at the uh, main campfire site with the guys with the red shirts doesn't compare to how cool it was with the black light. Sure, especially as a camper. I, I have to say that, you know, it was fun being an end man as a, a counselor. Mm-hmm. But, you know, seeing those guys swing the tambourines and the legs zigzagging and uh, the hands in uh, unison was really a special treat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's changed, but it's, uh, it's, it, it is a real pinnacle for a lot of guys who've gone through camp to have been honored enough to be an end man, to be an end man multiple times. All have you, have you been an end man? I'm not, I was never a camper. So oh, these days, that's only the campers. criteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Um, in fact, I think I can say that in my time, there only twice have we used a staff man, and in both situations, it was because we couldn't get six guys who could learn it. <laughs> they just couldn't. They weren't coordinated enough to do it, so we had to kind of recruit a little on the side. And but um, in general, yeah. Now there, it's only it's only six guys from the oldest age group, and then that's it. And then they don't get not to the counselors, anything. just no. the campers. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, Another thing that uh, I don't know if they do anymore, I'll ask you. Let's take turns, and I'll interview you. <laughs> was we, we did a, a show every year, you know, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was always like uh, after Collegiate Week. Right. So it's just... The eighth in, week show, I think. Eighth week show, there we go. Mm-hmm. That's what we call it. Yes. And, uh, you know, the funny thing about camp, um, we were constantly learning lines, those of us that were on the Wicked stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun. And uh, when I was looking at the programs of, you know, two or three of the years that I still have the programs from the Jubilee, I, that I typed, of course, um, I was involved with that. It was always the same paragraph. Thanks, Denny Rosen, for making time to allow us to rehearse. <laughs> Giving us sufficient rehearsal time. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, those are my fondest memories, uh, the shows, and uh, all the above. Yeah, nice. Well, I always sort of wrap up with a couple of questions. So one being, now that you've lived your life, it's not over yet, I don't mean it like that, but now that you've lived a long life uh, and you had that time at camp, how did your time at Camp Ojibwe affect that life? Well... I became a lawyer, so uh, I guess I kept typing away. Mm. Um, no, I think uh, Ojibwa, the, the Ojibwa spirit, you know, I guess now they emphasize respect, but there was respect back then. You know, everybody, 
there were there were boundaries. You know, you push you push the envelope, but it was all all in the nature of character building. And I think um, all of us uh, had a few bad times at camp. You know, misadjustments. Um, but for the most part, you know, like you said, you get back on the horse every morning. You know, it's another reveille, and uh, you know, you had a chance to get the game-winning RBI. Mm-hmm or score uh, the winning bucket, uh, you know, be a hero for a day until, uh, you know, you struck out with the bases loaded. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Nice. The other question I always ask everyone, do you have one more just great camp story? Well, the only story I I kind of omitted that I'm sure you've probably heard about, which um, is very well chronicled uh, in Chicago, was the summer of 1969. And that was the year uh, the Cubs had a 10-game lead, mm. I think, in July. And that's when Leo DeRocher came up to see uh, Lynn Goldblatt, his uh, paramour at the time. Sure. Now, I think I think I, I picked Joel Goldblatt on my volleyball team with the hunch that maybe Leo was coming up for collegiate week. <laughs> and I did have Joel Goldblatt on my uh, volleyball team that year. Nice. So... Uh, I got to meet Leo, and uh, and um, and then we all know what happened. Uh, the Cubs got beat by the Mets, and uh, when they uh, found out that he left the game early and headed up to camp, you know, it became an AP Wire story, and uh, that's how Campo Jim was remembered in 1969. <laughs> the Cubs wouldn't have the curse if it weren't for Campo Jim. So... <laughs> That's it. All right. Do we forget anything? We'll call it a day. All right. Well, thank you so much for this. As we used to finish our stories. (laughs) Thank you so much. Hyphen. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. It's quite a stroll down memory lane. Yeah. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Rick Pador. Wow. Some fun stories. Uh, I feel like there were another 50 stories hiding just behind the veil of uh, being publicly on the mic. But maybe we'll get them out of him in the future. Still a great interview. Stay tuned this week. I'll drop his brother on you this, uh, this Thursday, probably. I said Wednesday, but it'll be Thursday. Ha. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me a line, Christopher at CampoJibbaHistory.org, or just swing by the website, www.CampoJibbaHistory.org. As I mentioned before, you can listen to some of those great sound clips we have, check out some pictures from the old days, read through a few old warriors, or even pick yourself up a brick for the Campo Jibba Walk of Fame. The weather's been great. I've been a little under the weather here at camp, but you know, even when you're sick, you're still sick at the greatest place on earth. So what are you going to do? It's amazing. But, unfortunately, it's kept me from having any cigars. 